Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch's sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com code odyssey. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey folks, this is Kevin. Uh, I have just moved back to Brooklyn, and so things are not set up yet at all. Uh, So it might sound incredibly echoey, or I don't know, you might hear my neighbor has a dog now, you might hear the neighbor's dog. We'll get settled here. Hopefully, the the consensus is, is that things sound great in the new place. Anyway, on this week's episode of Risk, you will hear DRC Neil. If I'm going to tie you to your wheelchair and fuck the shit out of you, I want it to be geometrically correct. <laughs> that and more. But before that, I just wanted to let everyone know about this great new website called Podchaser at podchaser.com. They are partnering with Patreon and they're rating and reviewing the very best episodes of the very best podcast. It's super fun. If you go to podchaser.com and you use the code Patreon, P A T R E O N, you can rate risk and you can rate your favorite episodes of risk to help bring attention. You know, like last week's episode the best of risk number 12 that's a fucking amazing episode give it five stars or four stars i forget which one it is but anyway yeah your favorite episodes like kevin goes to king camp or whatever they are rate them review them and help bring attention to them you know great place for people to find out what we're doing and find out what everyone's favorite episodes are podchaser.com the code is patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n and speaking of patreon if you are a patron of ours at patreon and you can become one by going to patreon.com slash risk if you are donating ten dollars or more per month you will automatically start receiving ad free versions of current risk episodes so this very episode you're listening to now you can hear a version of it without me saying this right now if you donate ten dollars or more to patreon.com slash risk that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash risk The new ad-free episodes will come out at the same time for our Patreon patrons as the, you know, regular ad-including episodes on the free feed. And that's on top of all the other bonus content that patrons can find at patreon.com slash risk. Also paging all book lovers, today's show is supported by Book of the Month. Book of the Month is a rapidly growing service with a simple goal to make sure you love what you read. You browse the five best books of the month and discover titles you wouldn't have found on your own. With exclusive pricing starting at just $10, you can get your favorites shipped to your doorstep for less. Book of the Month, Bound to Delight, and get your first book for $10 at bookofthemonth.com slash risk. That's bookofthemonth.com slash risk. Finally, it's been a long time since we've heard this, motherfuckers. Take it from this redhead queer. You don't have time to go to the post office. It will be packed with so many people you'll want to scream, so use stamps.com instead. You use your own computer and printer to print your U.S. postage. Sort your letters and packages. We use stamps.com. Why don't you use stamps.com? Right now, get this special offer when you use my promo code. 
It's a four-week trial, and we know that's not confusing. Plus a hundred and ten dollar bonus off for the digital scale. And free postage. Go to stamps.com before anything else. Click the mic on the homepage and type in risk. That's stamps.com. Enter risk. That's right. And right now, you too can enjoy the stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in risk. That's stamps.com. Enter risk. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. Now, here's the show. kids this is risk the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share i'm kevin allison this is dr rocket behind me now although to be totally honest while i'm recording this there is nothing behind me now because i don't have internet in my apartment yet so i'm just imagining the song that i wanted to purchase from itunes to go here when jeff puts the episode together later today but man i am grooving to dr rocket in my imagination we are calling this week's episode true romance which is Open to interpretation, we have a story of very surprise romance. We have a story of seductive, underhanded techniques. And we have a story that's actually, well, it involves romance, but is rather tragic, really. But they're all true, as always. Oh, this is Ralph. <clears throat> Pardon me. I meant because this is Risk. In a little bit, we're going to hear from the amazing DRC Neal. I will tell you more about DRC later in the episode. But first, we're going to start with a writer, performer, and four-time Emmy-winning television journalist living in Los Angeles, Cole Kasdan. She shared this story at the Risk Live Show in Los Angeles. Here she is now with a story we call Come Fuck Me, Penny Alavodka. recipe for Come Fuck Me Penne a la Vodka has been circulating among the single women of Manhattan since the mid-90s, which is when I first learned about it. Now, the recipe is a secret, and you don't just get it. It's bestowed upon you, right? And that's how I got it. Uh, I had just moved to New York, and I was in my 20s, and I didn't have a lot of friends, but this girl from work, Amy, invited me to come with her to a dinner party that she and a couple girlfriends were throwing. We're at the party. It was kind of like my first grown-up dinner party. We're all like, you know, standing in the kitchen slash living room slash dining room because it was in New York City, drinking like red wine out of Ikea glasses. It was very exciting for me. And there's a girl talking about a guy she's dating. And she's like, oh, I've been out with him a couple times and I really like him, but we haven't had sex yet. And I don't know, like, is it the third date? Like, what are the rules? And my friend, Amy, looks up from her wine and she's like, have you made him come fuck me penny a la vodka? And she's like, no. And the other girls are like, oh yeah, you should do that. Make him come fuck me penny a la vodka. And I'm like, well. And Amy goes, make him come fuck me penny a la vodka, third date, done deal. I'm like, what is this sorcery? 
And the girls in the kitchen tell me that come fuck me penne alla vodka is a magical pasta recipe that when made exactly according to the recipe, you can't fuck with it, like no substitutions. When you make it exactly like the recipe, it makes men desire you like never before. It guaranteed to get you laid. Now it's not like engagement chicken. I don't know if there are any New Yorkers in the audience who remember engagement chicken, which was like this roasted chicken recipe. When you make it for your boyfriend, he'll propose to you. And it was like a thing. It was like in magazines, and it really got famous when Howard Stern, after his divorce, was like, I'm never getting married again. And then his now wife made engagement chicken for him, and he proposed to her. But this isn't about that. Come fuck me, penny alla vodka is not about getting a ring, it's about getting laid. And it was invented by this woman, Etta Benjigal. She's a real person. I met her once. And she was dating a guy that made a similar dish for her, and she found it so delicious and sexually arousing that when she went home the next morning, she was like, I have to recreate this recipe. So she did. She made her own version of it, and she started giving it out to girlfriends. And it was just like, this is a delicious pasta recipe. There wasn't any like sex spell intention there. But as her girlfriends started making it, they noticed they would always get laid after they made it. And then people started passing it out with the express purpose of getting laid. And it had a 100% success rate. It was magic. And I have to say, at the time, I needed magic. You know, like, I had zero confidence when it came to men, zero. And I... I had these raging hormones and desires and I didn't know what to do with them. You know, like I, even in college, like I hadn't, I had no experience. Like I had a couple of like tipsy fumblings and I had like one, oh wait, was that just sex episode in a dorm room that lasted three minutes, literally, because we were listening to Full Moon Fever, the Tom Petty album, and the song You're So Bad was playing. And I was like, oh, I love this song. I just remembered that song. And when we were done, the song was still playing. And I checked iTunes before I got here, and that song is three minutes and six seconds long. <laughs> but I, I wanted to be a seductress. Like, I wanted to be Sophia Loren, but I just didn't know how. I didn't feel comfortable in my body or with my desires. And, and I know there are women that are like constantly fending off advances from men, but I wasn't one of them. I was like the quirky best friend Molly Ringwald character. Like guys would tell me about their girl problems. And I was just like too shy and not sexy enough or just a combination of both. I just, it just wasn't happening for me. And I also grew up in a time when like my parents and teachers and everyone tells you that like all guys want from you is sex, which is of course like not true, but if a guy didn't make a move, I just figured that he wasn't interested and it never occurred to me to try to make it happen on my own. So that's where the penne comes in. So, well first I'll say, and if anyone wants the recipe, just like hit me up after, I'll give it to you. It works fast. So be ready. Because the first time I made it, it was for a guy, we had gone out a couple times, but we hadn't had sex yet. And I made it for him, and you know when you have a really bad headache, and then you take an Advil liquid gel, and then like two seconds later, you're like, oh my God, my headache's gone. Like, that's how fast it is. There's no like, let me clear the, no, no, I'll get the dishes. No, you are being carried into the bedroom and languidly devoured. (laughs) That is the only thing that happens after. The second time I made it, which was like months later, I'm not slutty, it was like a long time later. The second time I made it was for a guy I'd already slept with and we were going out, but the sex after the penne was like a thousand times better than the sex we'd had before the penne, which is odd because it really is a heavy dish and it kind of like sits in your stomach. Come fuck me penne a la vodka is so creamy and, and rich and delicious that when it hits your, the tongue, it's like this velvety softness 
with like a little bit of spice and then the sweetness of the tomatoes. And you actually have to close your eyes when you eat it and just let it melt through you. And when I served it to these guys, they take one bite and then they look up from the plate as if they're seeing me for the first time. <laughs> like I had just taken glasses off, you know, or like I was Anne Hathaway post Chanel makeover in The Devil Wears Prada. And, you know, I'm a very non-confrontational person, so this was perfect for me because I felt like I was expressing myself and expressing my desires through pasta, you know? And I felt confident and powerful as long as I had the penne. And I went back to my friend and I was like, it worked. And she's like, shrugs, like totally not surprised. And she couldn't even talk long because she was in the middle of moving in with her boyfriend who she had made the penne for on their third date, and now they are happily married and have two children. <laughs> there is only one documented case of come fuck me penne a la vodka not working, and it's with me, the third time I made it. Okay, so I was dating this guy, he was very, very nice, he was in his 40s, and he loved comic books. And I'm not making a judgment on that, I'm just adding information. <laughs> he had a twin bed with a poster of the Incredible Hulk hanging over it. Now, I know now that those are warning signs, <laughs> but I was in my 20s, I didn't know that then. And we had been dating for a few months, but we had never slept together, and it was like, he would sleep over and we would cuddle, it was weird. Like, I would sometimes make jokes, like, I think I'm ready to go all the way, and he would just be like, ha, ah, I don't wanna talk about it. Like, it was odd. <laughs> like, the Incredible Hulk is right there. You know, it's just, but then I was like, oh, the penne, I had forgotten I had this in my, you know, in my magic kit. So I invite him over, and I make the penne, and the whole, like, I have candles and red wine, it's perfect. And he, just like all the others, he takes one bite and he looks up from the plate, he like sees me for the first time, and he says, this is incredible. And I was very cool, I was just like, oh, I'm so glad you like it. But inside, I'm like, you are Sophia Loren, you own this, you have it. And then that was it, like we had an awkward couch makeout, and then he said he was tired, and then we broke up a few weeks later. But an important coda to that episode is that a year later, he came to my house and proposed to me. I'm not kidding. And he said, I made a huge mistake. I never appreciated what we had, and we should have had sex. That was my fault. And at the time, I was dating someone else, so I declined Incredible Hulk Guy's proposal. But I think it was a very delayed reaction to the panic. <laughs> I do. But after that, I stopped. I, didn't, I just decided I didn't want to fuck with magic anymore, so I stopped making it. And, you know, like, with age and experience, I got my own confidence and started, you know, just knowing what I wanted my life to look like, with or without a man in it. You know, I started making penne for myself. I started seducing men without pasta. <laughs> And then a few years later, I know everybody says this, but it really is, it's true. Like when I wasn't looking, like that's when you meet the person, but it's true. I wasn't looking and I met, you know, wonderful, kind, funny, handsome, like everything you want. Like I met that guy and we got married two years later. And it occurs to me that, you know, I love to cook and I've been with this man for eight years now. And I have not once at any point during those eight years made him come fuck me penne a la vodka. And it's probably because we had sex on our first date. But I wonder if it's just because I outgrew it or I felt like I didn't need it anymore or maybe, and I didn't make him engagement chicken either. There was no, I think I just wanted to know that he loved me and not that I had cast a spell on him. You know, cause you don't know the powers, you just gotta hands off with that. But I still have the recipe, and again, if anyone wants it, just like hit me up after the show, and I wanna share it with anyone who needs it and make it not a secret anymore. Thank you.
Right now I'm hungry and I want to get laid. Oh, I wish we had something to eat. I'm starving. Yeah, okay, but you're going to have to eat something sexy then, like a banana. Oh, give me a hamburger. Well done. One burger coming up. Hamburgers. Mmm. This is a tasty burger. Wow, the size of his pickle. It's not a sexy food. It's just for energy. So delicious. Come out of my house, my house. I'm going to give you candy. Come out of my house, my house. I'm going to give you everything, everything, everything. Come out of my house. Imagine, if you will, sitting down in a chair as a gorgeous Native American man is standing across from you, naked, dripping with sweat, licking his lips. He's about six foot three, 185, with stunning bronze-colored eyes and a gorgeous feather tattoo inked down his eight-pack abs to a dick that was, at this moment, standing completely erect, inches from your face. Now I should pause to say, the fact that he's been hard for several minutes is very flattering. But I'm gay and I like penis as much as the next man. They're very pretty. But I don't exactly know what to do when guys just like pull it out. Prior to this, for several minutes, he's been visibly tinted, walking around the hotel room as he grabbed the back of my chair and forced my face to the edge of his zipper. Now, most people with disabilities will tell you <laughs> that if you touch their property without their permission, that'll get your ass cussed out. <laughs> but when he grabbed my chair and started trying to sit on top of me, lowering himself on my thighs, I'll admit my disability activist powers evaporated. <laughs> and then he looked at me and he said in this Southern California, slightly hippie, possibly on barbiturates kind of way, gosh, you are hella sexy. Now, I thought he was talking about someone else like that he had this idea in his head of what he thought I could do for him because we had never really discussed it. I knew he was a kinkster, though I didn't even know what that word meant. And the only time I had seen it was on a German sex shop when I lived in Stuttgart. The thing was, I had thought about what it might have been like to be tied up and pleasure tortured, but in reality, how often do you see people with disabilities in that situation? So I actually didn't know what he was there for. I didn't know if his screen name was BBC only, which for you squeamish people means big black cock. I didn't know if he was playing out some thug fantasy. I didn't know if he had a penchant for race play. And, you know, while it might be tempting to reenact Roots 3, The Third Coming, <laughs> if you ever want to do that, I'll just tell you that slavery is a boner killer. <laughs> and I speak from experience. So when he said it, even though he had his fingers in my jeans, I still didn't believe him because I didn't believe the disability was sexy. I mean, growing up, I had a scooter, crutches, a walker, leg braces, cast from the waist down, seven surgeries, and nobody had ever told me that. So I went through my life believing that we are what the media says that we are. Undesirable destitutes who exist to leech off the feds and ask for alms. As an English major, I just wanna say, I never get to use the word alms, <laughs> and it's really awesome. <laughs> so, he said it again. You are just so sexy. And I looked at him and I was like, huh? What, me? And he was like, yes, you. And he proceeded to tell me, so 
why don't you show me what guys in wheelchairs can really do? And proceeded to climb off of me as he unzipped his pants and threw them across the room. Which brings me back to the point about a throbbing dick now in my face. (laughs) So, if you are a regular straight American woman or a card-carrying member of the Legion of Gay Power Bottoms, this sounds hot, right? (laughs) Now imagine this gorgeous specimen of an Indian man whom, had he been there, would have made Christopher Columbus want to sample all the goods of the new world. now reaching behind him to pull out a leather bag as he pulls out blindfolds, handcuffs, anal beads, butt plugs, electronic stroker, a rope, and a protractor. (laughs) Because as he put it, if I'm gonna tie you to your wheelchair and fuck the shit out of you, I want it to be geometrically correct. (laughs) Spoiler alert. We did not fuck in my wheelchair. I have since discovered that fucking on wheels is incredibly annoying, especially when the main goal is thrusting and you're on wheels. And honestly, that sounds like a plot device on Grey's Anatomy. Did I mention that at this point I've had no experience with bondage and that I had to Google everything in that bag after he left? or that my hookup experiences at that point probably are on the line with what most women can agree with, sucking some random guy's dick for an innumerable amount of time as you're plotting next week's lunch menu (laughs) and thinking, God, how did J-Lo keep that green dress on her body? (laughs) Basically, the penis that was in front of my face was the most random of randoms literally plucked off the digitally skeevy alleyway that is Craigslist a mere 15 minutes after I landed on a plane in San Francisco. There were six other guys that were trying to get a turn, and I did the entire thing as a joke because I didn't believe it would actually work. Granted, I hadn't told any of them that I had cerebral palsy or that I used a wheelchair, And that was the first time in my life that I actually willingly omitted that information with the sole aim of just trying to fuck. I felt kind of guilty, but it worked. So now I was thinking, you know, I didn't tell him, but as he was tipping me back in my wheelchair and testing the air with various writing crops, I was thinking, maybe I should have mentioned that because he was very gung-ho. He, at that point, walked over to the other side of the room and opened the curtains wide open as a bunch of tourists started milling out on downtown Market Street in the Intercontinental. And I was horrified because they could have turned around and seen us. But then I was thinking, what happened? 10 minutes ago, my life was perfectly normal because 10 minutes ago, he was at my door knocking And I remember when I went and opened the door, I was thinking, okay, this is where the yelling and the screaming and the rejection will start. But he just looked at me and did this. He just cocked his head to the side and said, "Mm, okay, (laughs) and walked in. 10 minutes later, he's butt naked, tying uh, handcuffs to the headboard. as the quintessential, most Frenchy, most sex-worthy song, Sadness by Enigma, starts playing on Pandora. And I thought, oh fuck, this is actually happening. (laughs) And so, the thing is, is growing up with cerebral palsy, I have spent my entire life watching other people hold hands, kiss, make out, have threesomes, Yes, a threesome broke out in front of my face, brought to you by Everclear and not giving a fuck. (laughs) And I just sat there the whole time on the sidelines because I, you know, I was never invited to participate. The thing is, I didn't kiss my first man until I was 20 uh, when I was in Germany and he opened the floodgates metaphorically and physically. So the word hofes really for me should be translated into German. But the thing is, this is 2017. 
I expect people to have the weird, like disconcerted vibe in the year 1800 when they were practicing on medical cadavers and they didn't know how the human body worked. But this is 2017. There is no excuse as to why people are still trying to figure out why people with disabilities are trying to have sex with the general public. It does not make sense. And I literally have many gay men that tell me about once a week that I don't deserve to be on Grindr, that I don't deserve to be in their space. One guy had the nerve to tell me that I had a mental deficiency because I didn't think there was anything wrong with me, that I have just a normal life and wanted to be treated as such. And he was like, of course there's something wrong with you. You're, you're weird, it's weird, like it's, 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 not, it's not right. Then he told me that the problem, the blame goes to my mother because as a black woman, she should have gone on welfare and had the state fix me when I was a little baby. Oh yeah, that happened on Grinder. The sad part was that's not even the worst comment. It pales in comparison to a conversation I was having with a group of gay men on Xbox Live. And uh, if for you who don't know, that's a like multiplayer video game platform where people can have conversations. And I was in a room with eight other gay men playing Resident Evil. Uh, I know, right? It's perfect, perfect stage. And we get in a discussion about why people with disabilities make the gay community so uncomfortable. And this one guy had the nerve to say, well, <laughs> I don't know why you're mad. I mean, we don't want you here. That's why none of the clubs are accessible. Duh. You can't get in any space because you're, you're not really welcome. And he was like, I mean, the only way I'm giving my number to you is in the dark where nobody can see because, I mean, you're basically a pity fuck. He was like, and being black? Like, I live in Portland, Oregon. Like, there are no black people here. We, we don't want you. You're basically the dog in a Sarah McLaughlin ASPCA commercial. Yeah. So as heinous as that comment was, by the way, not a single person stood up for me in that conversation. That's the kind of thoughts that I have in my head whenever I'm out with another person. Because I don't know if they're actually there for me or if they're just doing me a favor. And so when I was in this room, I realized, well, <laughs> this guy doesn't think that. He doesn't give a shit about what some asshole said to me on Xbox Live. He's too interested in devouring me. <laughs> and I, I was perfectly okay with that. And so he literally walked over to the table and swept off every piece of hotel material on the floor, like the most dramatic porn you've ever seen. <laughs> then proceeded to pick me up and slide me up against the plate glass window as he started sucking me off. And I'm thinking, mm, this is getting a little intense. <laughs> Maybe I should tell him to stop. But then I was like, mm, I'm about to have the best sex of my life in a king-size suite in San Francisco. I'm probably the first black disabled person you've ever had sex with, so I'm going to make damn sure you remember that shit. <laughs> and at that point, I decided to go all the way in. And then I remembered I was not a porn star and had no idea what the fuck I was doing. So I started reverting to shit I saw in movies. I have seen the movie Desperado 40 times. I just want to thank Antonio Banderas. Thank you. Also, shout out to uh, uh, Natalie Portman in the movie Closer because her kissing skills was on fleek. It, that shit was so good that I almost forgot that I had a disability. And he picked me up and went to throw me on the bed and tripped over my wheelchair. And I was like, fuck! Damn it, damn it, damn it. This shit was getting real good. And we're on the bed and I was about to apologize like I usually do. But then he stuffed a sock in my mouth and gagged me with it and proceeded to tie the wrist clamps as he dragged my pants down with his teeth. So later, when I was naked, then I was thinking, okay, this is where this shit comes to an end. Because <laughs> he's going to see all my scars and all the falls and all the shit that happened. And it's going to be, I'm going to be shamed and it's going to suck. 
but he didn't stop. Instead, he used his tongue on every inch. And if y'all don't know what a tongue feels like on scar tissue, <laughs> well, it's very amazing, I'll just say that. <laughs> so, I was thinking, gosh, this was a really interesting experience, and we were in that room for four hours. When he was done, he thanked me and left, and I remember sitting on the edge of the bed, shaking, thinking, oh my God, what did I just do? That is so not like me. And then I thought back to that motherfucker on Xbox Live, and I thought, hmm, these days, well, in the present day, he is living in a suburb of Portland, banging plumbers and vegan quinoa makers. <laughs> I have fucked everything from British Olympians, the parallel bars, uh, Aboriginal diversity instructors from the government of Australia, very sexy German flight attendants, combat negotiators from a Colombian guerrilla army, and Linda Carter's PR agent. <laughs> but y'all keep thinking people with disabilities don't have sex lives. What this experience taught me was that it is not my responsibility to teach other people about my sex life. It is y'all's responsibility to learn. It is not my responsibility to tell other people how to treat people with empathy. And at the end of the day, I don't have to apologize for any of it or feel bad about it. So at the end of the night, instead of crying, I went on Amazon and bought my own set of leather cuffs <laughs> and a blindfold and found someone else and did that shit again 12 hours later. This is Ezra Furman behind me now, and we just heard from DRC Neal. He is a writer and a singer with the Gay Men's Chorus. He's told stories before at Story League in D.C. He's also an activist and just, I gotta tell you, DRC had the greatest entrance of anyone. He had this gorgeous, this insanely gorgeous and pretty almost naked man carry him up onto stage into his chair in dc when he told that it was really really wonderful he's a great guy drc neil and now i want to tell you a little bit about hello fresh hello fresh is the meal kit delivery service that makes cooking more fun so you can focus on the whole experience not just the final plate each week HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step -step instructions designed to take about 30 minutes for everyone from novices to seasoned home cooks they source the freshest ingredients measured to the exact quantities you need so there's no waste they employ two full-time registered dietitians who review each recipe to ensure it's nutritionally balanced. HelloFresh is now offering light summer meals, and they've just introduced breakfast options. I love it. I, I am someone who really doesn't have much of a history of cooking and has avoided it for a long, long time, but I've really enjoyed this. And it's less than $10 a meal. So... For $30 off your first week of deliveries, visit HelloFresh.com and enter the promo code RISK30 when you subscribe. That's HelloFresh.com and be sure and enter the promo code 
RISK30 when you subscribe. Our final story today was recorded live at the Bell House in Brooklyn, where we do the show once a month. This is Asher Novak, who has his own podcast called The Whole Story that he co-hosts with Julia Wiedemann. That is a great uh, podcast. It's interviews with storytellers about storytelling. You really should check it out. I've been the guest on that before, and it's fantastic. Asher is also the the producer of the Speak Up, Rise Up Festival that's happening in New York in August. We have a show that is a part of that. It's called In It Together, Stories of Strength and Diversity. That is on August 18th. So yeah, Asher is a busy guy. And here he is at the Bell House in Brooklyn at the Risk Live show there with a story we call The Departed. Hello. So my first relationship started like I would imagine many of yours did. It started over AOL Instant Messenger. I, um, <clears throat> my, uh, my friend Dan told me that this girl, Kat, liked me. And I didn't know what to do with that information because I, no one had ever liked me before. I was a senior in high school and I'd never had a girlfriend before. I had asked out tons of girls and none of them liked me. And so the idea that this girl just sort of liked me, I didn't really know what to do with that information. I mean, I kind of knew Kat. She was like a peripheral friend. She was a sophomore, and she was cute. So I, I just messaged her one day, and she said, hey, so, you know, there's been this rumor that this girl likes you, and that girl's me. And I was like, cool. And she said, so do you like me? And I said, sure. And she said, so do you want to be boyfriend and girlfriend? And I said, well, if that's what would make you happy... And then we were boyfriend and girlfriend, and I didn't know what to do. Like, I felt like I was just pretending, like I was just acting like the boyfriend, right? Like, in high school, I was the main character in a 90s romantic comedy, but in the first act. So, like, every 90s romantic comedy, you have your hero, and they're this bumbling idiot, and then they find the girl, and then they get the girl. And I was that, but just the first act. So I was just the bumbling idiot, and I was just pretending like I was the boyfriend. So we just, we made out in my car and listened to Green Day, and we held hands in school, and... I didn't know what else to do. There was one day when we had this really wonderful day where we watched Lord of the Rings in my basement, and then we all went, uh, me and her and a bunch of our friends went to see The Return of the King, and when I was dropping her off at her house, she said, I want to tell you something. And in that split second, I thought, I swear to God, I thought that she was going to tell me she loved me. We'd been going out for about a week, which in high school years (laughs) is a really long time. And she said, I trust you. And it was so sweet and sincere and honest that I knew in that moment that I, I had to break up with her. I mean, I knew she wasn't, I just, she wasn't the girlfriend that I was going to stay with. She wasn't my third act girlfriend. She was, a, she was a starter girlfriend. And 30-year-old Asher knows that that's not nice to say, but 17-year-old Asher didn't know any better. And so if I didn't know how to be a boyfriend, I definitely didn't know how to break up with her. So all I could do in my lizard brain was just think, okay, well, I'll just be mean and distant and cold to her, and I'll do it around Christmas, because that should underline my point. <laughs> now, our, our relationship lasted exactly 21 days, and I know that it was exactly 21 days because we broke up on New Year's Eve. So in my basement, she's uh, standing on the second step so we can be eye to eye, and she's saying... <laughs> You know, it just doesn't seem like we have that much in common and, and we're, we're, we're getting distant and I, I start saying, you know, it's just not really fair and, and I get interrupted because my dad just opened the door because our friends are coming in because, oh, I'm also having a party at my house because that's the best time to break up with someone is when you're having a party with all of your friends on New Year's Eve. So that's happening and I'm, I, we're upstairs and we're watching the ball drop and the room just kind of reeks of Mad Dog 2020, which... Some of you know because you've been teenagers or uh, homeless people, and it just, it just wafts of this immaturity, and I'm watching the ball drop, and I'm just thinking, I can't wait for 2004 to get here, because 2004 is the year I leave. I'm leaving Silver Spring. I'm going to go to New York. I get to leave all of this behind, and as I'm thinking about all this, Cat comes and sits next to me, 
And I don't really move over or make room for her. And as the ball is dropping, she whispers in my ear. She says, take me back. And I whisper back, no. (laughs) The next few weeks, she kept reaching out. She wanted to get back together. And I kept saying, no, no, no. She said, we could work it out. And I said, no, it's just, I'm going to be steadfast in this. And I'm going to wait for my third act. I don't see her really much or hear from her in the next few months. At the end of April, we were doing our senior show. So I was in high school theater, and if any of you were too, you know that theater isn't an after-school club. It's a family. I mean, there are people from that theater that I still keep in touch with. I've officiated weddings of friends that I made in that theater. Our senior show, most of us in the theater were seniors at that point. This was a really big deal. This was the last time we were ever going to really do anything together. And so the Saturday night before the last show... Uh, We're all out getting pizza, because that's what you do after a show. And I'm walking back to my car. My friend Shelly comes running up to me, and she's teary-eyed. And and she says, Asher, can you drive me somewhere? And I say, sure, of course. So we get in my car, and I say, where am I going? She says, can you just drive down Lay Hill Road? I think Kat tried to kill herself. And I, I don't exactly know how I drove from point A to point B. I know Shelly said something about Kat writing a suicide note and putting it on her Zanga, about everything just being too much, about medication not working. But all I'm thinking in my head is, I wonder if she's wearing the toe socks that I got her. I wonder if I'm in that note. I mean, I should be, right? I should be in that note. We get to the the car accident site, and there's just a single cop, and he's taping off the area. There's a red car and an ambulance. And I get out of the car, and he says, excuse me, sir, you, you have to leave. There's been an accident. I said, no, no, I know it, it wasn't an accident. And he said, no, there's been a car accident. I said, it wasn't an accident. So our friend Kat, she jumped in front of the car. I said, how do you know that? And she, she, wrote, a, she wrote a note. She put it on her Zenga. What's a Zenga? Well, it's like this online blog thing. There's a website I can show you. I ended up having to explain to about four different levels of policemen what a Zenga was. By the time the police determined that it was a suicide, one of our friends took down her Zanga, and I still never got to read her actual note. The next morning, I didn't know if we were going to have a show. Uh, so I went over to my friend Shelly's house, where uh, Katie and Dan were also staying. And they were getting ready to go to the hospital. And I say, great, I'll come with you. That seems like the right thing to do. We knew Kat was in intensive care. We didn't really know if we were going to be able to see her or talk to her what was going on. And my friend Katie says, Asher, you should really go back to the high school and make sure that we do the show. Like, it's really important that we have our final show. Dan and Shelly start saying, it doesn't matter who cares. Asher should just come with us to the hospital. That's the important thing. And Katie says, the show must go on. So they go to the hospital. I go to the high school, and we still don't know if we're doing the show. People are wandering around aimlessly. People are standing around crying. We ultimately decide we're going to do the show. We had to tweak one thing, because Katie, who was at the hospital, she was in one of the scenes. It was a series of short plays, so it wasn't that hard to just either lift it out, or I said, I'll just read her part. I'll just walk on stage, and I'll hold a script. Everyone knows what's going on. I'll just read the part. And they said, Asher, you can't play the role of a female monkey. And I said, look, her costume's in the back. I'll go try it on. And if it fits, then we'll do it. So I'm walking down this hallway, this hallway to the dressing room that I know better than any hallway of any house I've ever lived in in my life. If the lights were off, I could walk down this hallway without bumping into anything, but it doesn't feel like that now. It doesn't feel like home. It feels cold and sterile because I don't want to be there. I want to be at the hospital. I want to be by cat. I want cat to know that I'm there, but I'm in this dressing room trying on a monkey dress, which sort of fit. I mean, it was made for a smaller girl than I am. But I got it on, and I went back out, and I started to make people laugh, and we did the show, and we got to be kids for a couple hours. There was a moment when we were pretending to be monkeys and throwing bananas around on stage that I'm sure seemed like I was missing a line. I mean, everyone knew I was holding a script, and there was a moment when I I missed a line because I wasn't there. I wasn't in that auditorium. I was in the hospital bedside by Kat, just letting her know that I was there. Katie and Dan reached out after the show and they said that they ended up not being able to see her, that she was, no one was able to see her, she she was just inaccessible. And in a lot of ways, Katie was right because we got to do our show. I got to provide comfort 
for someone. A few days later, Kat passed away, and Katie called me uh, when it happened. It was during school, and it was before we had announced anything over to the, the whole school. And I went to my teacher and I said, look, I know a lot of my friends are getting this news now, and people are congregating in the library, and I want to go down there to comfort them. And so I went down, and I was just in this room that felt like strangers. Like I didn't know anybody who was there. I'm all of my good friends, uh, Christoph and Amanda and Jesse and Nick, they weren't there. I was just surrounded by all these people and I couldn't be there for them because I didn't know them well enough and there couldn't be anyone there for me. I just remember seeing my friend Marcus. My friend Marcus is sitting there and he's just crying and he's just bawling. And he knew Kat. He had a really good friendship with Kat. But all I'm thinking is, why are you crying, Marcus? You didn't do anything wrong, Marcus. Like, Kat wasn't your first girlfriend. You didn't break up with her on New Year's. You stop. Like, why? Stop. Like, it's not your fault. At the funeral, Kat's sisters had prepared a uh, slideshow of pictures with Kat and all of her friends. And before it starts, I get really nervous because there's going to be a picture of me and everyone's going to remember the impact that I had on her. Everyone's going to remember how important I was to her. And the slideshow starts. There's a picture of Kat and Dan, Kat and Shelley. There's no pictures of me. And at first, I was relieved. I was. I, I, I was relieved that I didn't have to deal with anything. I didn't have to be someone that people came to. I didn't have to be anything to anybody. I could just drift away. But then I started to get angry. Because how could everyone not remember? How could everyone not remember that clearly this was my fault? Clearly, I was the one who set her over the edge. I mean, I broke up with her on New Year's, and then four and a half months later, this happens. I mean, clearly, I was the one when she was so over the head. No one knows all of the conversations we had when we were listening to Green Day or after her guitar lessons. Like, how could people forget this? I took all of that, and I kept it with me, and I reminded myself of that every single day. And there was one day, as I was falling asleep, I just had this thought. You didn't think about Kat today. There are an infinite number of reasons why Kat would take her own life. There's no way that I could ever understand the pain that she was going through. There's no way that anyone could understand the suffering that she was going through. And there's nothing that I could do to take that away from her. What we had, the time that we had, was exactly that. It was the time that we had. It was three weeks. She had a life before me. She had a life after me. And the choice that she made was exactly that. And I can't, I won't take that away from her. I was uh, cleaning up and I I found this note that Kat wrote me and and passed me uh, during school one day. It's dated December 19th, nine days into our relationship. Hey, Asher. I got bored, so I'm writing you a note. I can't wait to see you tomorrow. It sucks that we can't see each other today. Really sorry I couldn't stay after school. I'll spend all my time thinking about you. Maybe I'll get to see you on Sunday, but Alina and I are going shopping for Christmas presents. I know it's a little late. We're probably going to get most of our girlfriend's thongs from Victoria's Secret. (laughs) I have an idea of what to get you, but I'm not really sure what you want. Hey, I just realized it's the 19th. This month has gone by so quickly. It's almost a new year. I hated this year, except for the part about getting to be with you. I think in about two weeks is when my life started to go downhill, so I pretty much started off this year with my life ruined. I'm a little bit afraid of starting a new year because of what happened this year in January, but I'm glad to get back to start a new year with you. I'm going to make 2004 the best year of my life because I'm not going to let the things that happened in the past get me down. I want it to snow. I miss you so much. I am crazy for you, Asher and I hope you are crazy for me too. You make me so happy. This is the best Christmas yet because I have you as my gift. Tu eres mi esperanza. You are my hope. Cat. 
I know that there are an infinite number of reasons why a cat would take her own life. And I just know that I'm one of them. Thank you. is all for this week's episode folks this is oh mercy behind me now uh covering the strokes and we just heard from asher novak listen i want to remind everyone all you book lovers out there that book of the month is a rapidly growing service with a simple goal to make sure you love what you read you browse the five best books of the month and discover titles you wouldn't have found on your own with exclusive pricing starting at just $10, you can get your favorites shipped to your doorstep for less. Book of the Month, Bound to Delight, and get your first book for $10 at bookofthemonth.com risk. That's bookofthemonth.com risk. Okay, I am going to try to read where risk is happening next off of my phone. Uh, I, there is nothing more irritating than having to record the uh, podcast with no internet. Uh, let's see if I can read this. On August 11th, we are in Toronto. August 11th, we're in Toronto at the Great Hall. On August 19th, we're at the Bootleg Theater in Los Angeles. We just added Andy Dick to that show, who is always something to see when he does risk that's august 19th at the bootleg theater in los angeles on august 30th now this date was changed from what it was originally august 30th we're at the bell house in brooklyn that's going to be a great show come on out on august 30th to the bell house in brooklyn on september 9th we're in Salt Lake City, Utah at the Urban Lounge. We're still taking pitches for that one. The theme is unexpected. On November 3rd, we are in Baltimore, Maryland. Baltimore. November 3rd, the theme is obsession. And we're still taking pitches for that one. November 9th, we are in Chicago, we're at Lincoln Hall in Chicago. I'm smiling because I'm thinking of who I want to see when I come to Chicago. November 9th, we're in Chicago at Lincoln Hall. The theme that night is revealing, and uh, we're still taking pictures for that one. On November 10th, we're in Madison, Wisconsin at the High Noon Saloon. The theme that night is huge. 
Still taking pictures for that one. November 10th in Madison, Wisconsin. November 11th, (laughs) Detroit, Michigan. November 11th, we're in Detroit at the Magic Bag. The theme is surprise. We are still taking pictures for that one. December 2nd. December 2nd, we're in Phoenix, Arizona. It'll be my first time ever in Phoenix. December 2nd in Phoenix at the Valley Bar. The theme is jaw-dropping, and we're still taking pictures for that one. Now, what do you do if you want to pitch us? You go to risk-show.com slash submissions. The submissions page at risk-show.com. There's all kinds of tips there. There's even a whole uh, audio lecture you can listen to on how to put a story together. There's a video with me describing how pitches, you know, what kind of pitches get our attention most. So go to the submissions page at risk-show.com. Folks, today's the day. <laughs> Take a risk. Oh, I'm so dead.